This morning we're coming to the last part of this short series that we've called 2020 Vision, when we've been thinking together about some of the things uh, that we think God is laying on our hearts as a congregation uh, to be thinking about in our short to medium term future. And the vision I've been drawing to your attention is this. Um, the next slide there. A church where we disciple one another while reaching into the city where people of all ages participate in the discipling of the young. So we saw four, we've seen that there are four strands in this vision, and we spent the last three weeks paying attention to these first three, discipling one another, reaching the city, and then last week, if you were here, you'll know that we talked about discipling the young. So this morning we come to a fourth and a final strand of this vision, and it's something around... The, the place of older disciples in our community. I'll be honest, I struggled to find the right language, the right words. Um, if you use the wrong words in this area, older is pretty bad. I appreciate that. But I, what about uh, people who are closer to the end of their lives than they are to the start? What does the church of Jesus Christ have to say? to people like that. Shall we pray? Lord, help us now as we come to pay attention to your word, as we listen to your spirit's prompting, and as we discern what kind of a community we ought to be to fully show your glory in this world. Amen. Be good if you have that psalm open. Um, I haven't really been doing what I would normally do in this series, which is to, to have one passage open and to, to preach it or to teach it for the, the duration of the sermon. But we are going to start in Psalm 71. I, as a young man, started to do a thing where I read through the Bible every year for a number of years. I haven't done it every year since I started that, but I have done it periodically throughout my life. And because I've been using this physical Bible that I have, I can see things that I've marked that struck me in the past. And Psalm 71 is one of those Psalms. Um, it's not the kind of Psalm we'll have thought about, I don't think, in Sunday school. Uh, you won't have learned much of this as a memory verse. Uh, you've probably never heard a sermon or teaching on it. But it's a psalm that really speaks to me, and I thought we'd start here this morning. The reason it speaks to me is that it articulates one of my deepest dreams. Verse 18 captures a lot of what's distinctive in this prayer. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Now, my dream isn't that I'd still have enough hair left when I'm old to be gray, because I think that, that dream's gone. That's not my dream. My dream is to still be walking with the Lord, pointing other people to him, as I approach the end of my life. The psalmist in this psalm, as Richard's already pointed out, looks to the past and to the future. So let's have a quick look. 
Notice what he says about the past. Verse 5. For you have been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From my birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from a mother's womb. I'll ever praise you. Look at verse 17. He looks to the past again, and he shows how it's shaped the present. Since my youth, O God, you've taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Lots of Psalms and other parts of Scripture show people who are good at that backward glance, who are able to look and to see how God has been at work in their lives, and they're grateful to him. But, but the distinctive part of Psalm 71 that I really want us to focus on is the, the look to the future. Look at what the psalmist says in verse 9. Don't cast me away when I'm old. Don't forsake me when my strength is gone. And look down at verse 18. He says, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Folks, I I have this dream. I don't want to live life knowing that I lived some of it well. That I was on fire for God in my youth or that he used me somewhere in my middle years. I want to go to the end. I want to have God's vision and purpose in my life right till the end. Declaring God's power. Look at verse 18. Declaring God's power to the next generation. His might to all who are to come. Pointing people to Jesus until there's no more I can do. I'm going to talk today about aging, and uh, I think the only place to start is to say that our culture has a very, very negative view of aging. There's a whole industry that's uh, dedicated to keeping us looking and feeling young. Uh, I thought I'd do a quick search on the internet. It took me about 30 seconds before the, the, the volume of, of websites and offers um, uh, knocked me over. There's a barrage of stuff about how I can stay young. So there's the obvious stuff about eating well and uh, exercising, the stuff about sleeping enough and keeping your brain active. There's a whole lot in there, but by the time you you go to the end of the line, there's some pretty sinister stuff. Uh, Certainly I thought it was sinister. Controversial interventions like human growth hormone therapy where you re-inject yourself with the growing parts of uh, a human's uh, physical makeup to see if you can delay decay uh, and aging. It seems our world's very given at present to this idea of eternal youth and that we're terrified of growing old. That might be the view in the culture, but it, it shouldn't be our view here in the church. The church ought to be the best and the safest place to grow old. An aging person who's walking with Jesus, who's been growing in him, should never fear a loss of purpose or a loss of role. There should always be a place 
to live dynamically and well in this community. You see, we're a community that's wired for learning from those who are ahead of us on the journey with God. In a sense, everything I'm saying today is a flip side of what we talked about last week. If the focus last week was on the the young being discipled, then the focus this week is on older people taking on the baton and being ready to pass something on to the younger. The clarity, think about it for a second, the clarity of an older person's vision who's lived enough of life to see what was a waste of their time and energy and what really mattered. What a brilliant thing to share with the community. Their ongoing presence, people who've been around for 70-something or 80-something or 90-something years, their very presence shows us that it's possible to, to live through life its knocks and its hardships. Older people can, I believe, if we allow them, be God's prophetic voice in our midst because they can take a long-term view of things and they can see how the, the fashion of the moment is nonsense. Older people are in a good position to lead the community in repentance Because they have made the big mistakes. And they've lived with the consequences. And if we were wise, we'd hear what they have to say about that. We need older Jesus followers around us. We need models for how to live for Jesus, not just in our 30s, but in her 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. In his book, A Vision for the Aging Church, Jim Houston, the founder of Regent College, says, it's the biblical duty of the church to offer a countercultural, scriptural perspective that views the aging process as the basis for hope and not despair. And aging as an opportunity for meaningful ministry. Churches can facilitate uniquely intergenerational connections that will allow seniors to act as salt and light to the younger generations. We were talking about this last week. We want to be a church that disciples our young. And if we're to do that well, it'll take members of all the generations to play their part. Anyone who takes seriously the teaching of the Bible would long to see the church as a a multi-generational discipling community. In the opening chapter of the book of Proverbs, a young man's encouraged to be open to the discipling of his father. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They'll be like a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. That proverb was spoken in a culture where people already understood that they were to honor their parents. You may know that the the Ten Commandments that we have um, fall broadly into two categories. The first four of them deal with uh, a human's relationship with God, and the, the remaining six deal with our human interactions and relationships with one another. 
the fifth commandment, the first of those interhuman commands is to honor our father and our mother. That means in, in the mind of God, there's something fundamental about honoring the generation ahead of you. This is somehow primary in how God wants us to live. And this explains why the, the New Testament is full of these uh, elder and younger relationships. I flagged this up for you last week just in passing. Jesus' relationship with his disciples probably wasn't one of, a, of peers side by side. Jesus was in his early 30s, likely, whenever he was doing his public ministry. And his disciples were probably in their mid to late teens. If you think of Paul and his ministry, Paul seems resolutely to refuse to do much ministry without having a younger person walking alongside him, whether it's a Timothy or a Titus or one of the others. The biblical world is where the older person's always ready to disciple the younger, and the younger is always open and respectful of the learning that can come from above. One thing I've noticed as I've tried to preach this series, each of the four topics I've tried to preach would have made a good series of its own. And I felt that way again preparing this week. Uh, There's too much to be said here for 25 minutes. It simply doesn't allow for it. But the best I can hope to do in this short sermon is to, to remind us of some biblical vision and to get this idea back onto our agenda should it be slipping away. Let me make a couple of suggestions for how we can grow in this area. One for older members and one for this church family. A challenge for older members. Don't live the shriveled life of Western individualism that's on offer around you. In his book, Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper points to a story uh, which he'd come across in Reader's Digest, a story that tells of how a couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. When he was 59, she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. After he's painted that picture, Piper asks us to imagine that person. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Lord, look at my shells. That, says Piper, is a tragedy. And he goes on to explain why it's it's tragic. He said, God created us to live life with one single passion to joyfully display his excellence in all spheres of life. The wasted life is a life without this passion. God calls us to pray and to think and to dream and to plan for how we can make much of Jesus Christ in every part of our lives. I suspect that we imagine that the struggles of living faithfully for Jesus fall mostly on younger people 
the temptations of youth? What if there are temptations all the way through? They just change. Older brothers and sisters, please don't settle for the life that's offered to you by the the Sunday supplement advertisers. Please don't. There's more to life than the perfect garden, two cruises a year, and television. Television. I googled, what do we do with our retirement? Four and a half hours a day on average watching television. Folks, don't settle for that. Come and be a part of a community because we need you. We need older members of this church to do the, the things that you're already thinking of. I'm going to name them even if, if you don't prefer to hear it. We, we need older people to come and help run our creche and our parents and toddlers because we need people to come alongside those younger mothers and fathers and to, to model how, how this is done, to be like godly grandparents, to show us how to pass things on to our children and beyond. We need you in our discipleship groups. I've heard people say in Kirkpatrick that discipleship groups are only for younger members. It's not. If it only has younger members in it, then it'll feel like it's only for younger members. This is a whole life, all of life, opportunity to be close to one another and to bless one another. We need more of our older members in our discipleship groups. Put a sign-up sheet in the vestibule for anybody who wants to sign up for September to come and to start being a part of it. We need you to offer your gifts. You, you, you probably, I think some people are saying, it's younger people in the church who get to do stuff, who get to lead, who get to do stuff at the front. There's room here for everybody to play their part. If you want to, to be a worship leader or could, could preach, if you want to help us by going out to meet our Bible class and our breakfast club, our teenagers, or dropping in on the Sunday club, we can do that. And I'm open to, to all the suggestions that you might have. So for the, the challenge to the church member or to the, the older disciples among us is don't, don't waste your life. Get back on track with the purposes of God, serving him. And a challenge to the, the rest of the church family. I, I, I want to invite you to be part of a protest movement. For an act of social rebellion... I want to invite you to be anti-ageist because we live in a profoundly ageist culture. 
I'm going to say the church, as far as I can see, isn't doing very well in this. Because the church I see around me is polarized quite strongly. At one end of the spectrum, we have loads of churches that no younger people go to anymore. Do you know that about Belfast? That it's full of churches that have barely any people below 60 years of age? Younger people don't feel very understood or very at home in these communities, so they're no longer there. It's possible that the community stalled somewhere in the 1950s, that they no longer make sense of real life as we actually live it, and the younger generations walked out, and they're not coming back. There's no discipling the young happening there because there are no young people there to disciple. And at the other end of the spectrum, there are churches that are packed with younger people and the younger generations. And older people don't feel at home or welcome there. These communities are often relentlessly trendy. They're always changing, chasing after the latest thing. And quite frankly, if you're not the latest thing, you'll be quietly pushed to the side or find yourself drifting out the door. There'd be no opportunity there for the older to disciple the young because the older simply aren't around in substantial numbers. Friends, let's, let's avoid those extremes. Let's each generation commit to rejecting ageism when we find it in us. When it flares up, just say, no, I'm not doing that. We're a family of God, a family of all generations, and a community wanting to follow Jesus Christ. Let's expect to learn to live together through all of life's transitions. Through retirement, ill health, and even as we face death. Some of the richest pastoral conversations I've had in the last year or two are with people who are talking to me about how they feel about their impending death. That's when the depth of a person's grip on the gospel becomes very evident. I don't know about you, but I've loved the this time 40 years ago slot that we have run a couple of times, two or three times over the last few months as part of our centenary season, allowing members of the congregation of different generations to come and share with us a little of what God has been doing with them as they have followed Jesus. That, that, that should be the norm. That's how church life ought to be. I'm nearly done. <coughs> Pardon me. But I thought I'd spend the last few moments telling you how some of the oldest members of our congregation have inspired me since I came here 10 years ago. Some of the oldest members have been the biggest inspiration and my strongest advocates and partners in mission. I can still remember being interviewed here by the Kirk Session in the spring of 2003. The Kirk Session at that time, with the exception of two members, were all retired people. So it was not a young church leadership And their age profile reflected pretty accurately the age profile of the church. 
we'd had a good interview, or at least I thought it had gone all right. Um, some important questions had been asked, and I'd given my heartfelt answers to them. And then the person conducting the interview did what often happens at the end of an interview. They said, um, does anybody else have anything more to ask or to add? And I can still remember the response of one of the elders to that question. can't remember the exact words, but certainly the sentiment. He said, look at us. We haven't got long left. We feel like we have one more chance. But we long to see God at work in our church once more. And if somebody comes and preaches the gospel and leads us in mission, we will throw our lot in with them and partner with them to do that work. It was quite breathtaking and and inspiring. My experience in the next few years is that these people were true to those promises. They've, as I've said, become my co-workers, my partners in mission. How so, you might ask, because we don't see them. They're not up at the front leading services or leading ministries in the church. They're not in the pulpit or leading a worship team. I say, no, you don't see them. because they do a different kind of work at this stage in their lives. They pray with me and for me. I've been invited on many occasions into the home of some of our older elders just for a a chat, to hear what the Lord's doing in their lives and in mine, and then to pray for each other, to build each other up. They've prayed for me and for you And they've offered you and I hospitality. I remember in those early days when some of you started arriving and it seemed like every week there were new people here and it was was the most exciting and exhilarating thing but also the most terrifying thing all at once. I remember talking with Claire over and over again saying, how do we keep up with these people? How do we share a welcome with them? How do we let them know that they're welcome in this place? We worried at times, but we needn't have worried. Because church, you see, is a team effort, and these older saints were quietly going about their business. I could see it from up here. Church became like a game of British bulldogs. People coming in through those, if I saw a new person coming in through either of those uh, doors at the back and saw them looking into the church to find a seat, I knew that they wouldn't get very far before they were got by one of these spectacular welcomers. They'd be shaken by the hand. They'd be looked in the eye. The the grace and welcome of Jesus Christ would be communicated to them. And and the welcome didn't stop at Sunday mornings and and that sort of superficial, yes, it's one part of my life. I, I I remember a time when Friday evenings, one of our older elders would open his home, he and his wife together, and would invite six or eight of the the newer people around the church just to come to share life together 
to, to be a family together. Claire and I had the privilege of being along to that a number of times. It's inspiring. It's the kind of quiet work that God used to make this place what it's become. This week I've been praying with some of our older members here at our Pray 100. The slots I go to seem to be the ones that some of the older guys like to come along to. And that's been brilliant. Praying with people in their 80s about people who they want to see come to faith in Jesus. Or about their their grandson. Or their friend. Just brilliant. Some of our older elders recently applied to the Presbytery of East Belfast to, to retire effectively, to be granted the title of Elder Emeritus. And that means that they, they will have retired from some of those particular roles of eldership, Kirk Session meetings, or leading a district of people. We're looking forward to gathering with them this Saturday uh, for a meal in their honor to, to celebrate with them and to honor them for all that they have done. But we know that their work here hasn't ended. They'll keep praying and welcoming and opening their homes as long as they possibly can. I've finished by telling you about some of our older disciples. Simply because I want us to think about who's going to fill their shoes. Are you up for that? Following Jesus right through. No retirement. Just looking for the next thing he brings you that you could do. We want to be a church where older people are following Jesus and where the full community respects and honors them. Let's pray. Father God, there are many aspects of our personal lives and our corporate lives that require repentance on our part. And this certainly is one of them. Lord, we all need to repent for any ways in which we have agreed with the culture's idea that people retire, that they're beyond use, that they no longer have value. Lord, show us that that could never be true in your kingdom, where all are called to follow Jesus and to pass it on to others. Lord, for our older members, I pray that you would you'd show them the depth of your love for them. But not only that, Lord, the extent of your purposes for them at this stage in their lives. Lord, give us a a new and a strong and a deep vision for the role of older members in this church. And Lord, for the rest of us, we pray that you you would forgive us for any times when we have been, been ageist in our thinking when we have wanted to, to set 
part of our community aside. Lord, forgive us all. But make us new. Lord, we pray that Kirkpatrick Memorial would be a place for people of all ages so that even more of Jesus' glory would be seen here.